0: Right, I invite you now to turn to Psalm 136, the, uh preaching from that psalm today. Monday, of course, is uh, Thanksgiving Day in uh, Canada. In many ways, it is a vestige from the past when our society did acknowledge God as a, our society as a whole, not every individual, but as a whole, it was... You know, God was mentioned in things and acknowledged and given thanks as the source of all blessings. It, it was a day that was set apart to give thanks to him. It's a curious thing that a lot of people today will talk about Thanksgiving and about the importance of being thankful, but they have no idea who to thank. For them, it's just a spirit, an attitude of gratitude that you carry with you, and you don't really have anyone to acknowledge as the source of all of the blessings. They know that it helps in their overall, uh, just kind of stability and their happiness and everything. To to look in a positive way at the good things that they have and and that sort of thing, and they uh, the things that they have received and experienced. And it it sort of makes sense, you know, for them to say, "Yeah, we need to look at all the good things we have and not just get all." discouraged and and that sort of thing, but they completely miss the one who gave us all of these things, who is to be thanked. They don't know who to thank. They're just thankful in the air, (laughs) thankful in a vacuum, as if, you know, Mother Nature did something or (laughs) some kind of impersonal force or there's there's a, a, a great confusion here. So this being so, I thought we would do well with Thanksgiving coming up to consider the one to whom all thanks is to be given. The scripture passage I've chosen is Psalm 136. And I, I preached on this at a Thanksgiving before almost no one here was, <laughs> I don't believe, in the church at the time. It was when we were first starting out, and uh, it was uh, yeah 26 years ago. And uh, Brian Michelle Nash had been received as members and had just gotten married. And uh, Katie, who is now Katie Muhammad, had come to their wedding. And um, she she was involved in the wedding and they invited her to church on Thanksgiving. And she came and she had never thought about who to thank. And she'd never really been in church. And she decided to start attending. And it was about seven or eight months later that she professed her faith and was baptized. And then uh, Ron came along one day, and it was about six months or so for him, and then he also professed his faith and was baptized, and they were married. So they were at the wedding yesterday. I think they're still uh, down. I know they are. They said they would be down in PEI still. But uh, it, it, was, it was a really encouraging time, and you know, someone that didn't know who to thank and then came. So that, that's a memory I have from this particular passage we see how God uses His Word. And as we go about tomorrow and we talk to people and they're you know getting together for Thanksgiving, it's a good thing to talk to them about, what, who do you thank? You know, why? Who do you thank and why do you thank Him? So, before I begin talking about Psalm 136, I want to make sure that you understand that when we look at a passage like this, a psalm like this, that this, is, this is God's word. That's why we look at it, because it, it's instructions to us, and, and even promises and things, and counsel from God. That means that it is words that he gave us through his Holy Spirit, working in people that, were, um, that, that he had chosen as prophets to be able to speak that word to, in, into the world, and especially to his people and also to write down His Word so that it would be preserved for the generations to come and that we could know God through the Holy Scriptures, which is the way he, now that Christ has come and everything has been revealed about our salvation, we now have the Scriptures to, um, to show us the way of God, and they can be translated in different languages and used all over the world. And so we come to this, this kind of text like this, As the word of God, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. God used those prophets to actually bring what he wanted us to know all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And the book of Psalms is especially an interesting book because here we have gathered together uh, praises that God has given us, songs of praise. And he has compiled them for us. He's, in his providence, he's brought them together. He brought together the different books that belong in the Bible in his providence. So there's this collection of songs. And it's interesting because some of these are elsewhere, like in Chronicles or somewhere like that. But these are the ones that he brought together as a book of praises for his people to sing. So they're repeated here because they're a song that is given to us as his people And it's very encouraging to have such songs because then we know that the praise that we're bringing to God is is his holy and divine word. And so we're very thankful for that. And they're words that we can actually study and learn from because they're the word of God. So Jesus is the head of the church and he is the one that directed us to sing praise concerning the salvation that he has provided for us. And so he, he as it were, leads us when we come together in in the assembly. He's the one that calls us together to give thanks to God for hearing him when he was on the cross. And so we, and receiving his sacrifice for our sins so that we could be saved. He delights in saving us. And he calls us together and we gather together in his name. And then we know not only are the words acceptable that we're bringing before him in praise, but also that we're accepted in him. Because our hearts are not so much in tune with the words as they ought to be. More and more so as we grow in God's grace and His Spirit works in us. But the Lord Jesus, He's perfectly in in sync with all that is being sung. He's the one that represents us as the righteous one. God looks upon Him and He receives the offering that He and His church brings before Him as an acceptable sacrifice of praise that He delights in it. Sweet incense that rises up to Him. So when we give thanks, we also give thanks to God in His name. Even just as we go about in casual, everyday life, and something happens and we return thanks to God, we do it in the name of Jesus. And yes, our heart is not always all the way, it never is really all the way where it should be, but because we're coming sincerely in the name of Christ, as those who are redeemed by Him, trusting in Him, then we're accepted. So with all that in mind, let's look at this song that is given to us here, and then we'll consider uh, what what it says to us. So Psalm 136. Again, it is the very word of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. Overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for his mercy endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our lowly state, for his mercy endures forever. And rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. And here we end the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to his holy word and now also to the exposition of his word. This psalm has but one concern, that uh, the whole psalm is one great summons or calling to give thanks to the true God. So the whole thing is about <laughs> from beginning to end. It gives us the directive to do this and th- in three, the first three verses, three times, and uh, in verses one through three, and then again it repeats it in the very last verse, and it gives a list of particular reasons to thank him, in verses four through twenty-five, and uh, we we have all the way through, really, in every verse, reason to thank him. When when we sing it as God's covenant people in Christ, it serves not only as a summons. But it also becomes, as we're gathered together before him, an expression of our thanksgiving to God. You know, when we speak of God and we say, you know, praise him who has done thus and thus and thus, we're, and we're before God, then we're praising him in that it, it's a kind of an indirect way. We're giving thanks to his name as we're always gathered before him in his presence and encouraging one another to lift up our hearts to the Lord, as it were. We call to each other's minds the great things that He has done. And in Christ, our praise rises up as a sweet incense to the Lord, a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So let's take a closer look at this psalm and what it tells us. We need, the, the psalm opens with a strong summons to direct our thanks to God. We need this strong summons. We need it because it is a rare day in heaven for true thanksgiving to rise up before our holy God. Very often we have little appreciation for the many mercies that we enjoy. We, we drink in blessings without number for even the bread and water that sustains us, the beauty that is all around us. And the good things of this life, the God who made us is much more likely to hear curses and expressions of anger and frustration than expressions, expressions of gratitude from the people that he has made and that inhabit the earth. But even when we do have a spirit of gratitude, our thanksgiving is rarely directed to God. Many times we just have a spirit of thanksgiving. We thank other people or we thank Mother Nature. We say, I'm glad it didn't rain today. Um, You know, whatever. Uh, We may speak of being thankful for this or that, but it's quite rare for us to actually turn to God and give thanks to God for for the blessings that we have received. And perhaps even worse, we often give thanks to some idol instead of to the true God. We give thanks to false gods that we or others have made up in our own heads. John Calvin said that we were, we we're an idol factory. We're always producing idols. Because like Romans 1 that we read earlier and I mentioned to you, the problem is right, right in verses 21 and 23 to 23, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of, of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Something that's corruptible in birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. No thanks at all is offensive. But expressions of thanksgiving that are misdirected to idols are actually even more offensive to God. He will not give his glory to another. And we do wrong to God when we give thanks to an idol instead of God. The prophet Habakkuk speaks of the wicked who have success and then he says, burn incense to their own net. So rather than acknowledging God is the author of their success in, like, say, catching fish. You know, they, they burn incense to their own net or in the military when they've captured people or, or that sort of thing. They, they give credit to themselves. And we see that so often in our society. The problem is that we don't want to acknowledge God's holiness and majesty. I described that to you a little earlier. He, his infinite power and divine nature that he is a God. That's what we don't like. That he is a God against whom we have sinned and with whom we must be reconciled through his son's death on the cross. Because we don't like that, then we find other places to direct our thanks. It is something that is in us as fallen sinners that has to be changed, transformed. We're full of pride. We want God. We want a God, you could say who will just overlook our sin. No, that's okay. It doesn't matter. That's, that's okay. Only then will we have him. We'd love to have a God that would be like that, and, it would just, you know, and he'd be God and could do things for us, and we could ask him for things, and we'd give thanks to him, all of that kind of thing. Don't you find, I asked you this earlier in a way, don't you find that you're more comfortable expressing your gratitude to forces? You know, the sun that came out in time for my walk or my package that just arrived in time, or the wonderful uh, people that delivered it, which you can acknowledge as wonderful people, but, but we, we, we are much more comfortable to acknowledge those things than to give thanks to God. This is what drives us to come up with a God, with a false God, who will have us without bothering about reconciliation. Either a God... Two ways we do it. Either a God who is not so holy that he would require the blood sacrifice of his own son to accept us. Or a God that is impersonal and that we can kind of tap into his power and manipulate his, his power to do things. But he doesn't hold us accountable for anything because he's not holy. He's not personal. So well, in Either way, he's not holy. He's either a God that's corruptible like us and kind of, you know, doesn't really have a big thing about sin- or he's an impersonal force. But you cannot make God to be whatever you wish, because he is God. He is. And you don't just come up with a God in your head. He is what he is. And you have to deal with him when you do, when you truly know and acknowledge the true God, you will find him to be far more beautiful and glorious than you ever dreamed but it's not until you come to him as he is revealed that you will find that and it's even over time that you find that more and more take job he was a godly man and yet he was brought by god to suffer great affliction and at the end of all that affliction where job wrestled with god and said why are you doing this to me and he was He was struggling and sometimes he said things that were not even appropriate. At the beginning he didn't, but over the time as it dragged on, he started to say things and God rebuked him and came to him and said, Job, you know, who are you? Where were you when I made the world? And he revealed himself more fully to Job. And what was the outcome for Job? Job said, before I heard about you with the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. That was a happy day for Job. Because he came to see God in His glory more than he'd ever seen it before. And he was delighted with it. And I will tell you, if you are struggling with God right now and you're where Job was in the middle of his struggle, why is God doing this? And why are all these things happening? And what's going on? Know that as you go on in the Lord, you will see more and more of His glory. And like Job, he didn't mean that um, before he you know, heard about God. Now he saw him in, in a literal sense. But when you hear about something, it's not the same as seeing it. He was just saying, I know him more fully than I did before. If you'd asked Job back in, in the beginning, before his trials came, Job, have you seen God? He would say, yes, I know God. I've seen God. But now he says, compared to the, how I knew him then, it's like I, I only heard about him then. And now I, I really see who he is. He he was delighted. He had delight, delighted he was full of delighted praise of God. Sometimes we have reluctant praise. We know we're out to praise him. We're going through a hard time. But there's other times when we have delighted praise. We're delighted with him. Let's look at the this strong summons to give thanks to God, then, with which this psalm opens. Because we need it. Okay, that's why I was just showing you. We need it. We need to have a summons to say, keep your focus upon the true and living God, giving thanks to him in all things. So the three opening verses each begin with the words, Oh, give thanks to God. Nothing complicated here. In the Old Testament, when something is important, it is simply repeated. They don't use the word very and that sort of thing very much. Sometimes we have it in our Bible. Then it's actually because they, they did what I'm talking about here. They would repeat the thing. They would would say it twice in order to emphasize it. When it's really important, though, it's repeated three times. Like when it talks about God's holiness, it doesn't say just holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy. So we have these things sometimes that are repeated three times. So, So let it sink in. Oh, give thanks to God. Oh, give thanks to God. Oh, give thanks to God. Three times it's repeated. It's something that you need to actually do because it's repeated because we don't do it as much as we should. Don't just talk about it, but actually give thanks to God. The entire psalm is subordinate to this threefold call to give thanks to God. Every verse that follows except for the concluding verse is subordinate to this summons. Oh, give thanks to God. Look, ex- look, for example, at the very verse that follows these, which is like all the other verses that come after it. Uh, verse 4 is an example of the pattern that, that they all follow. It says, To him alone who does great wonders. That's a subordinate clause. It depends on something else. You don't, you don't just go up to someone and say, To him who alone does great wonders. They go... What? What are you talking about? But if you say, oh, give thanks to him who alone does great wonders. You see, to him who alone does great wonders is dependent upon the main injunction, oh, give thanks to the Lord, oh, give thanks to God. And all the other verses are like that, aren't they? To him who did this, to him who did that. Sometimes they're uh, finishing a phrase from the verse before as well as they're broken up by the... um, the, the words that we'll look at in a minute. But um, the words here, also in this phrase, this threefold call to thank him, the words give thanks, translate a Hebrew word that is good for us to know here, Yaldal. It's a word that means to confess. What do you do when you confess something? You speak the truth about it. Okay. And we are often called upon to confess the Lord. We confess the things that He has done, and we confess Him and who He is. We also are to confess the truth about ourselves. So as I said to you earlier, when we confess the truth about ourselves, it usually comes out with confessing sin. Because before God, that is the thing that stands out is while we are in this world. Now we are being changed, and we can confess that God has transformed us. You have confessions like that in the Bible, that I'm a new creation in Christ. Those are also good confessions that we make. Are, are, but very often, we're also confet- when we do confess those things, it's about what God has done in us. What we are at our roots is we're unworthy sinners. And when we confess the truth about God, though, what comes out? Testimony of His greatness and of the good things that He has done. So you could say, praise and thanksgiving comes out when we confess the truth about God. So when we speak of what He um, of who he is, it's things like, You're holy and righteous. Praise, right? And when we speak about what he's done, it's things like, You saved my soul from sin. It's thanksgiving. And so it is that. When this word is used to speak about God, it is normally translated in our Old Testament scriptures by either the word praise or the word thanksgiving when it's talking about God. When it's talking about us, it's often translated by the word confess. But uh, here in Psalm 136, we have the words give thanks as a translation. We're simply to confess the truth about God and about what He has done for His people, we praise Him and give thanks to His name. So Three times we're told, Oh, give thanks to God, or Oh, praise the Lord, or you know, Oh, confess the truth about God and what He has done to Him. Confess it to Him in this case. See, that, But that's not all that we find in these three opening verses. Each one of these verses is also aimed at making sure that we direct our thanksgiving and praise to the right place, because to the true and living God. We've seen I or identified that that was a problem, that we don't direct our, our praise and thanksgiving to God. We direct it somewhere else. So verse 1 describes him as the Lord. Now when the word Lord appears in our Bibles, as it does here with all uppercase letters, It refers to God's sacred covenant name, Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the name that he told Moses to use when he was calling his people out of Egypt. And Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them that Yahweh has sent you. And uh, it was the name that he said he would be known by both among the Egyptians, not known in a saving way, but known that they have to deal with this one who is Yahweh, that He is the Lord. They would know that He is the Lord. And His people would know that He is Lord, Yahweh. The name means, I am that I am. It speaks of the Lord as the one who is self-existing. Okay, we are all created. All other beings are created. But the triune God is, he just is. He always was, always will be. He's from everlasting. No one made him. He does not change. He simply gloriously is what he is forever and ever. This name distinguishes him from all other gods that are mere idols. He is the one to whom we are to give thanks. So it's saying don't direct your thanks to something else, like you know, some kind of force or some kind of idol that somebody's come up with. Verse two describes him as the God of gods. This title God of gods obviously sets him above others as the supreme God, the only true God. There are others who call themselves God. There are many that call themselves gods, but he is the only true God. He is the God of gods. If our thanks is not directed to him, it is directed to something that is less than the the final or the ultimate cause of all the blessings that we have is directed to a demon or an idol or maybe a secondary thing that was used in some way. Verse 3 describes the one to whom we are to give thanks as the Lord of lords. So each verse presents him in some kind of a superlative way above all others. Now, this is a different Hebrew word than the word Lord that's written with the uppercase letters Yahweh that we saw in uh, the first verse. This word is Adonai, and it speaks of him as the sovereign ruler over all things or as the master. He is the ruler of rulers, you could say the master of masters, the Lord of lords, the final judge to whom we all must answer. Everyone must answer to him. You may not claim him as your master, but you will meet him. He is the one, the one who sovereignly directs the affairs of the world. The Bible says that all things work after the counsel of his own will. So every crust of bread that you receive is ultimately brought to your table by the sovereign working of God Almighty. You are to give thanks to him. Even when hard things, even when terrible things come, like they did to Job, I mentioned him before, you are still to give thanks for his mercy that your trouble was not nearly as great as you deserve and that he sustained you through that trouble. That is the respect we are to show to him. The disciples in Acts 4 gave thanks that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus when they were beaten for preaching about Jesus and for healing in his name. And they kept doing it and they were beaten and they came away giving thanks to God that they were counted worthy to suffer for his sake. So something terrible happened. They got beaten, but they gave thanks to God. So you see then that our praise is to be directed to this one who is Yahweh, the self-existing one, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the one who at last blesses and curses. He is the Lord of all. He is the ultimate author of every blessing. So all praises and thanksgivings should be at last directed to Him. Not that you don't thank other people that God uh, uses to bring things to you. You know, somebody delivers something to you, you say, Thank you. But ultimately, it goes back to God. So then, having seen that we're to give thanks to the true God, We're now ready to look at the reasons that we're to give thanks to him. The first reason is given in verse one. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. And you say, well, not just verse one. I heard that over and over again. Yes, it's in every single verse. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. The word good here means just that. Good in the plainest and broadest sense. That he is good. He is not bad. He is not evil. He is good. There is nothing false in him. There is no impurity, no blemishes, no flaws. He is simply good. He also does good, only good. Only what is noble and upright, what is righteous and true, just and holy. When we look at the creatures that God made, we see how he naturally Delights in them. It is his native disposition to love all of the creatures that he has made. There is that little statement in Genesis after he made everything that God looked at it all and behold, it was very good. So God delighted in the creatures that he has made. He took delight in them, he found pleasure in them. We see then. That he walked with Adam in, in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. What a delightful thing this must have been. To have the God who delights in you as the creatures that he has made. Having communion with him. Uh, walking with him. And even now we see that the holy angels who did not fall are continually before his throne. Delighted, delightfully giving praise and thanks to his name. How happy they are praising Him and receiving His favor upon them and His goodness that is expressed. How good He is to them. It is His way to be good and to do good. Now, of course, creatures who fell into sin do not think God is good. That's us. We're creatures that fell into sin. And so we don't always think that God is good. We find fault with God. We all do. Because we're all sinners, they say that He is unkind because His wrath and judgment fell upon them for their sins. But this is His goodness as well, for He will not allow wickedness to stand. He would not be good if He allowed wickedness to stand in His creation. It behooves us to repent. We must confess that we are the ones not he who are in the wrong. We are the ones who are not good. We need to admit it. Those who have been reconciled to him through Christ see more clearly that he is good. And they come to know that more and more fully as the years go by. More and more, they see his mercy in places that they did not see it before. And they see it everywhere, that he is a God who is good and who always does good. Yes, we are to give thanks to the true God because he is good. The second reason that we ought to give thanks to God is also found in the first verse. In fact, it is found in every verse of this psalm. You know, I, I seem to be making a lot of mistakes today. I just realized that I told you that the verse, he is good, is in every, in, in every verse it's not the verse he is good as this one, his mercy endures forever. I'm not sure how I, I made that mistake, but uh, I just want to clarify that now because I, I said that and it was wrong. Uh, he is good is just in, that, in the first verse. It kind of sets the pattern for, the, for what follows. But this one is the one that is in every verse, his mercy endures forever. Of course, you, you know that. The word mercy translates the Hebrew word hesed, and this is a marvelously rich word that is well worth knowing. It speaks of God's faithful covenant mercy and love. It is a loyal love that God sets upon his elect angels, his elect people. He has mercy on them forever. He sets his love on them forever. Some Bibles translate it with the words steadfast love. And that is a very good way to translate it. It's such a rich word that it, can have, it has various translations that are sometimes used. But uh, steadfast love or mercy, all of those are, are good ways. It was a love that would not rest until it had secured our salvation in Christ. Until Christ had come and given himself for our sins. Then it was a love that pursued you until it secured your salvation. If you indeed are among those whom God has called. I loved you, says God, therefore... I have drawn you and now it is a love that will not rest until Jesus comes again and brings us into our final heavenly glory that he has appointed for all of his people with him as our husband before his father forever and ever in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It is a mercy that is fixed on us forever. It is a love that endures forever steadfast love it is our appreciation for this hesed this covenant mercy this steadfast love that is the foundation of our thanksgiving now i want you to think about that what is what do i mean it's the foundation this covenant love uh, or an awareness of that is foundational to thanksgiving that arises from us as god's people It is at the heart and root of it all. It grows out from it. Thanksgiving grows out from it. And there is no true thanks to the true God without a knowledge of God's covenant love. Until we have come to God in Christ, we cannot give thanks to the true God. As Jesus said... Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, all things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. We simply do not know the father unless we know him through Christ as savior, as he is revealed by Christ to us through Christ coming through his work on the cross, through his, the Father's accepting of Him, all of these things, we know God only as He is revealed in Christ. So we don't ever give thanks unless we know Him in Christ. We don't give thanks to the true God. We cannot be grateful because until we know Him in Christ crucified, we are God's enemies. If we think we love Him without Christ, we are wrong. It is not the true God, but an idol that we love in that case, because once we know the true God in such a way that we can give thanks to him, we come to him in Christ. The true God is the one who will not have any of us without Christ, our Savior. He is too good to have us without Christ. Once we see that and once we see that he died to save us and once we come to him, then and only then can we be thankful Because then and only then do we see that His mercy endures forever. That His steadfast love is forever and ever. Now in verses 4 through 25, we have a list of things that we ought to thank God for. Verse 4 introduces them as wonders that He has done for us. Wonders are things that are beyond human power. Things that only God can do. They are words... They are are words that surpass human, or works that surpass human wisdom and understanding, human wisdom and ability. Mercies that are performed by God to bless His people. Verse five through nine include the wonders of creation. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who laid out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule the day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule the night, for his mercy endures forever. God made all of these things, especially for us. He made the heavens such that they invoke wonder and amazement in us. They display the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. They show an extravagance, don't they? Just the vastness the grandeur of it all. people say, "Why are there these huge planets and suns and things that are way, way bigger than our sun?" All over the place, we find all of these wonders that God has made is to show the, the majesty and the glory of God. When, and the Earth, he separ- on Earth, He separated the dry land from the water, giving a delightful place for our habitation that was suited to us all kinds of interesting things to experience, to explore, to figure out, to develop, to entertain, to enjoy. God has given us all of these things, everything from metals that can be made into jewels and machines and marriage, in that, 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 the marriage act that can express our love and bring forth children. God has given us all of these things. When men reject God, they end up Many times worshiping these glorious things, these wonders that God has made. They worship the sun or they they worship um, sexual pleasures or they whatever it might be. But when they are reconciled to God, then they give thanks to God who has brought all of these wonders to us because his mercy endures forever. It is his covenant love. It is his mercy, steadfast love that we know our God to be a God who has given us these things, to be good and has given us these things. Verse 10 through 22 speak of the wonders God performed when He delivered His church out of Egypt and brought them into the Promised Land. Most of you know the story, I think, of that. Uh, Israel was in bondage under the most powerful nation. They were the nation that God had chosen, and they were in bondage as slaves under the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Egypt. And God came to take them out to be his people and to serve him. So verse 10 through 22, speak of the wonders that God performed to him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. Who could do that? For his mercy endures forever and brought out Israel from among them for his mercy endures forever. So the question to you, do you know God as the God who delivers his people from bondage? You know, those people are or us there is one church and God revealed himself to us in those early days as the nation of Israel was gathered together the beginnings of the church and he delivered them out of Egypt to show who he was have you been delivered from the controlling hand of satan do you know god is the one who delivers from bondage set free have you been set free to serve god not set free to do whatever you want but set free to come and live unto God, then give thanks. Give thanks if He has delivered you from bondage. That is the thing to praise Him for. With a strong hand, verse 12 continues, and with an outstretched arm, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who divided the Red Sea in two, for His mercy endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for His mercy endures forever. He removes insurmountable barriers. Barriers that we cannot move. He moves mountains that separate us from Him. Remember in the Song of Solomon, it talks about the mountains of Bezer, mountains of separation, and how He comes to us, coming across those mountains like a ram, uh, skipping across the mountains or like a row. Um, this is our Lord coming to His people. He brings those mountains down and He opens a pathway for us. Early on, and I think it's chapter two, it talks about the mountains of Bether, but later it talks about them as the mountains of spices. That's how the cross is, isn't it? Before we look at the cross and we're separated, the wrath and judgment is falling upon. Our Savior has been taken. He's delivered up to the cross. Then after the cross, we look and we say, it's a sweet spice. Look at what he's done for us. The cross becomes something that is lovely and beautiful, no longer separating But now, something that brings us to God. His mercy endures forever. We give thanks to God for that. Verse 15, But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. He crushes Satan, and all who are in league with Satan. Then verse 16, To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. Think of Song of Solomon again. Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? It's the church of Jesus Christ. She is relying upon him to bring her out of the wilderness of sin and death and to bring her to glory with him. We are brought out of the pit and established on the rock, to use another uh, analogy from scripture. Our beloved is the one who has done this. Isn't it so? Then give thanks to him. As you lean upon Him and you're brought out of your sin and more and more sanctified to serve the living God. Israel was brought through the wilderness. God trained them and He worked in them and prepared them to live in His house. What a glorious God He is. Verse 17, To Him who struck down great kings for His mercy endures forever and slew famous kings for His mercy endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, For his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his mercy endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. For his mercy endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant. For his mercy endures forever. There are giants that stand against us. Giants before whom we are so small. And so helpless. The Lord overthrows them all. They may hold possession of the earth for a time. They may claim the earth, but it is not theirs. The meek will inherit the earth. We will receive the new heavens and the new earth as a gift from our Lord Jesus Christ to his bride, the one who owns all things and bestows it on us as his people. My brothers and sisters, as part of the church... This deliverance is our deliverance and we need to give thanks to God as we experience it. Don't just focus on all the difficulties and the trials and things that you're having, the things that are not going right. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. It was in this that God shows us clearly that he is Lord It was in this that he showed us the power that he has over our adversaries and that none of them can keep us from serving him at last. He showed us that he is committed to delivering us, that he might bring us into his house to serve him. He showed us that initially back in Egypt when he delivered us from there. He showed it to us more fully when Jesus Christ came. These things were more richly and fully displayed in the fullness of time when God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. And they will be all the more displayed when He comes and brings us to glory at last. All who trust in Him brings them to glory. It is appropriate for us to give thanks for these wonders that God has done because His covenant love endures forever. Even though we have fallen so low, fallen into the clutches of Satan and his minions, Verse 23 through 25 remind us of what God has done. He is the one, verse 23, who remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever and rescued us from our enemies for his mercy endures forever, who gives food to all flesh for his mercy endures forever. Our thanks has multiplied when we see where we came from. That's why that verse is added about the lowly estate that we were in. We were so far away from God. We were in such bondage. We were in our blood, as it describes us in Ezekiel. You know, defiled in our blood. And God came to us in our defilement, in our lowly estate. And He brought us out. When you see where you were when God came to you, it should bring forth thanksgiving to you. Defiled in your own filth. And now He came and brought you out. But why does it add that He gives food to all flesh? Doesn't that kind of seem like a down... I mean, you're talking about the glorious redemption from the lowly bondage that we were in sin, and, and now He gives food to all flesh. Why, why does it add that? I'm not completely sure, of course, necessarily, but, but one thing that comes to my mind is it presents to us, again, the God that we come to. What is He like? He's a gracious, tender, loving Father who bestows food on all of his creatures, who sustains them, who cares for them. Now when they're in rebellion, they may end up in the lake of fire if they don't repent and find the salvation that we have talked about. But his disposition toward his creatures, as we talked about earlier, is he bestows food on them. He gives food to, he causes his rain even now to fall on the just and the unjust, to water their crops and so on. This is the God who restores us. He's a He's a gentle father who is tender toward his children, toward his people. He delights in us. Think about the Song of Solomon again. You remember how we saw that even the bridegroom, that you know—he one look of our eyes of affection toward him, and he's enraptured with that. That's the God that we serve, a tender, gracious God. Everything is summed up in verse 26. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for His mercy endures forever. This is some of it all, isn't it? It goes right back to where it started in those first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for His mercy endures forever. Thanks is due to His name. Recount all that He has done. Don't just be thankful, but actually give thanks, direct it to the one who is responsible for every blessing in Christ Jesus. It is fitting because His steadfast love endures forever. Please stand up. And let's give thanks. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. You are the one who made heaven and earth and who redeemed your people from bondage to sin and misery after they had fallen. Your tender mercies are over all of your works. They are still displayed. Your goodness. Father, we praise you that all the more is your goodness, your majesty, your glory, your purity, your holiness, your wisdom, your uh, wrath and judgment, all sorts of things about you, all revealed in the deliverance of your people and the redeeming of your people from bringing them out of sin and bondage to serve you and to be your people forever. And we pray, O Lord, that everyone in this room would know you in this way, that they would know you as the true God, who redeems sinners and father that they would bow humbly before you with thanksgiving and that they would grow that all of us would grow in our gratitude to you for Lord you have been so kind to you to us thank you for creating the world for us thank you that it is a home that is suited to us and that it will be restored that The whole creation will be redeemed just as we, our bodies will at the last day. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. You have been so kind. And Lord, we thank you that you came to us in our sins to deliver us. That, Father, when we were in our filth and our defilement, that you came to rescue us. You called us out. You appointed us to salvation. You showed us our Savior. We praise you, O Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk with you now. Thank you, Lord, that even now as we lean on you in the wilderness, that you're bringing us from here to glory and that you will not fail, that our Lord Jesus ever sustains us, that we're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. We pray that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we would grow in this thanksgiving to you, Lord. Oh, well, Father, please do forgive us, Lord, for our sins. Forgive us for having so many blessings and not having so much thanksgiving. And we pray for our society as a whole. Oh, well, Father, reach down to us in mercy. Bring sinners to a saving knowledge of Christ. Let us see the world turn to you, O oh Lord, Let us see the world filled with people who are giving praise and thanks to your name. Cause your salvation to spread to all the nations. It already has spread to so many nations and it is still spreading today. But Father, look upon the nations who once walked with you and have hardened their hearts like our own. Father, have mercy on us and turn us back to you again. Cause your face to shine on us and be gracious to us, O Lord. Deliver us, for we need you, Lord. We cannot deliver ourselves. We are helpless. The giants are too big. The Pharaoh is too strong. But you, O Lord, are mightier than all. You are the God of gods. You are the Lord of lords. You are Yahweh, the one who is self-existing, who is always and eternally the same. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please receive now the blessing of the Lord, people of God. Now may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.